Welcome in to the Southeastern Podcast, better known as the SEP, uh, the Zedia Network's official SEC football podcast. I'm Caroline Fenton, joined by my co-host, Kennedy Landry. What's up? What's up? What's up? Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. We took a little bit of hiatus, at least I did. Um, So it's good to be back. Yeah, we've got the squad back together and we're ready to talk about some football. Ready to talk about some football. And before we get into that, um, as two LSU grads and as two didn't know if our listeners knew, we're LSU fans, haven't really made that too clear. Um, No, but on a serious note, as two people who are very proud alums of LSU, we just wanted to address the sexual assault charges that have um, been brought against several LSU football players. Um, neither of us know the details. Um, we don't know everything about the situation, so we can't speak to the situation. Um, all we can say is that, all, but personally, all I can say is that I'm embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. I know that the LSU football program, LSU as a school, is better than that and will do better than that. And it's a shame that as a woman, a graduate of LSU, um, that you know, the, the school that I know and love, the people who also went there had to experience something incredibly traumatic and had to kind of been um, shunned by the university for it. But we would just like to say that our hearts go out to those victims. Um, we're with you. We believe you. We're here for you. We support you. Right. Um, absolutely. You know, that was a everything that came out in that USA Today report and every, you know, subsequent report from, you know, the advocate in Baton Rouge, the athletic, everything, everybody that's been reporting on it, you know, it was a, it's pretty much a systematic failure on all levels at, at LSU from the athletic department to a university wide level. Um, and like Caroline said, we're with these survivors and we're looking out for them. And we hope this is all going to be resolved through LSU's internal investigation that they're currently undergoing. Yeah, and we'll be better and just, you know, take this as a, as a lesson to um, to anyone out there and just as a message to any survivor of sexual assault um, and to any allies out there that, you know, there's there's a safe space and there are people that you can reach out to and talk to. Absolutely. Um, I hope, and I hope the people in charge will, you know, be- begin to step up and, you know, help survivors of, of domestic violence, sexual assault, those things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So we love you, LSU, but do better. Absolutely. Um, But moving on to another thing that happened this past weekend was football. Did have some football. And it was rivalry week, but sort of, kind of, not really. We had our favorites. We had the fan favorites. We had the Iron Bowl. We had the Egg Bowl. But things just looked a little bit different. Obviously, you know, we have our friends in Florida and Georgia who have out-of-conference rivals that they usually play during rivalry week. We have Vanderbilt and Tennessee who generally play during rivalry week. And we saw Vanderbilt and Mizzou play. So things were a little bit different. Um, I've heard things this year are just, like, different. I don't know. Weird. Um, Weird. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Um, the first we saw Kentucky and Florida play. Right. Let's break that down a little bit because if Kyle Trask didn't solidify his Heisman campaign, I don't think he solidified the Heisman trophy, but he showed the Heisman campaign. He was like, look, I'm here. He had one hell of a game, especially a hell of a a second half. Yeah. I think, you know, we've both been on the, the Kyle's for Heisman train all season um big kyles big kyle girls but you know from home 
I was that was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Kyle Pitts was out with a concussion for a couple weeks, um, kind of derailing his Eisman campaign. I still love you, Kyle Pitts, but you're right. I think Kyle Trask has, he's arrived, and I think we've really seen him come into himself as a football player this year. I think last year when he had to come in for Felipe Franks's injury, and he was kind of learning the ropes, you know, taking the reins of the offense, and like you said, this Kentucky win was a big one, and Kentucky's not – in Alabama of the world but I think when you see how close that game was at halftime and then what he did to kind of pull away and make it a blowout honestly really shows that he is such a great quarterback and is in those top three spots for a Heisman trophy yeah exactly and I think that's one of the biggest tests that the committee the college playoff committee will look at is yes Florida did have a slow start but if you look back at their past few weeks it has just been tumultuous they've had several games back-to-back games get postponed due to COVID and then Kyle Pitts was out with concussions and a broken nose and just they had so many things against them so when they have a slow first half you know that that shows me, okay, it's a team that hasn't been completely together and they haven't played in a while. But then you saw their comeback in the second half. Calpits had, what, three touchdowns that game? Uh, yeah, the final score was 34-10. So. Yeah, that's, and that's insane. So you see that sort of comeback. So I think that spoke volumes was, yes, although the game was very close at half, you saw that turnaround in the second half and ended up being sort of a blowout. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I thought I thought Florida looked great. Um, I would say Florida has one of the best offenses in the SEC. Oh, I think they do. I think the only one they're not better than is is Alabama in my mind. Especially, you know, I think we all thought a little more a little more highly of Texas A and M before they played LSU this week. And I think I, I get you know Texas A and M holds that head to head with Florida, but. I don't see how Texas A&M can be ranked ahead um, genuinely because they're in no way the same kind of team. They're not hitting on any type of cylinders um, that Florida is. Florida's gotten better throughout the season. And Texas A&M is kind of flatlining against an LSU team, which is the worst of our lifetimes. Um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and if we can dive into LSU and Texas A&M a little bit more too, because like it's crazy to me that. Texas A&M won by 13 against LSU. Like, if you just took that at face value, like 20 to 7, Texas A&M won, you would think, wow, that's a huge win for A&M. Wow, that's really good for them, the defending national champions. Like, if you're not really looking into the X and nose of it. But I I don't think the score was indic- indicative of Texas A&M's performance. They didn't look good against a depleted LSU team. No. Um, and we've done a fair bit of, you know, Kellen Mond praise on this podcast. I think we thought he was 100%. I want Kellen Mond to be good. I want him to be the quarterback that he was promised he was going to be. I mean, he's a he's a four year player, a three year starter. You he should be hitting on all of these cylinders and he's not. And the way he played against an LSU defense that has struggled all year. I think Vanderbilt, I don't remember the score of the Vanderbilt game. I think Vanderbilt may have scored more points than Texas A&M against this LSU defense. And that, that I can't see this Texas A&M team making it into the playoff. And if they do, they're going to get their behinds handed to them. And if you look at it too, okay, so let's say TJ Finley didn't throw that pick six. 
and let's say that touchdown call was actually ruled a catch and ruled a touchdown, you're looking at a tie game. Exactly. So yes, this yes, Texas A&M won twenty to seven, but just the way that things went down in that game, and I, I, I like refs aside, Texas A&M did not look like a top ten team in the country. Absolutely. And Absolutely. if you're looking at things situationally, so Ohio State can't make the the college football playoff. Let's say Notre Dame beats Clemson in the ACC championship. That makes that takes Clemson out. Let's take. Notre Dame beats Clemson in the ACC championship. Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship. So you have Notre Dame, Florida, and Alabama in the in the college football playoff. Does that mean Texas A&M is in? I I mean, if I'm the committee, I'm not the committee. I'm very far from wh- whoever they put on this committee. Former players. I, I would put you on the committee again and put you on mine. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, looking at everything, and they want to talk about it's like best versus most deserving, you know, all these things versus the eye test. I don't think Texas A&M passes almost any of these. I may are they probably more deserving than Florida at this point in the game? Possibly because they hold that head to head, but they are not a better team, and they do not pass anybody's eye test when you look just head-for-head stats, wins, everything. And especially if Florida goes into the SEC championship game and even just puts up a fight, uh, I don't I don't even want to say they're going to beat Alabama because I, I genuinely don't think they're going to beat Alabama. But if they put up a fight, like if they put up a fight and make it a close game, like I think that genuinely does make Florida a more deserving team than Texas a Absolutely. And I hate using the term quality loss because if it's a loss, it's not quality. But in these strange circumstances, yes, I agree that if, if Florida gives Alabama a run for their money, then even doing that, even having a quote-unquote quality loss against Alabama, I think kind of just seals their fate in the college football playoff. Right. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody outside of the SEC wants to see two teams in the playoff, much less three SEC teams in the playoff. Oh, I want um, four. Give me, oh. I want every other conference in the country to be pissed off. <laughs> like, look, give it all to me. I like all the SEC football I'll take, but <laughs> there's no way like with the recent college football playoff rankings, which came out last night on Tuesday, that was Tuesday, right? I don't know. There's, I have no concept of time. Um, you know, Alabama's number one, which I mean, Herb Street more or less said there's no uh, there's nobody in competition. Alabama's far away the best team in the country this year, and I don't want to I don't want to praise Alabama for anything, but there's no doubt about that. Even when you look at the Clemson, the Notre Dame's, and the Ohio State's, I mean, Ohio State's going to have what a five game season. I think Alabama's far and away the number one team in the nation. We no arguments there. Texas A&M at five, Florida at six, Georgia at eight. Auburn was at 22 last weekend, but they dropped out. Right. But a a two-loss Georgia in the top ten? Right. And, And, of course, this year rewrites all of the rules that were written in the past. I totally understand that. But that is just so indicative of of how – how desperate almost the the committee is just to have some quality teams in the top 10. And I fully, as much as I said, as, as I said, I would love to have as much SEC football as possible, put BYU in there. I am fully on the BYU train. Give Zach Wilson the respect that he deserves. 
please. Uh-huh. Just drives me crazy. Um, and Georgia's not a bad team by any means. They have two losses. That's not bad at all. Um, but they have their issues. Yeah, no. Can, let's talk about Georgia a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. JT Daniels, we've got, you know, our frat, our frat president, Stetson Bennett's out of there. Stetson yes. Bennett the fourth. Yes. Um, he had to take some time off to focus on Sigma Chi. <laughs> um, JT Daniels is—is is he the guy in Georgia? After you know two weeks of seeing him, the first week he—I think I have it written right here—the best quarterback performance at Georgia since 2013, when Aaron Murray threw for 400 yards. But is that saying much? It's not. It's not saying much of anything about Georgia, who probably has a quarterback history comparable to LSU. Um, <laughs> We are no quarterback school by any means, so I can't say anything. But, I mean, it's not like Georgia quarterbacks have not thrilled me by any means. Right. But do we think he's, you know, the guy for the next rest of the season and next season for Kirby? Is what, if it, a whole offseason with JT Daniels, like, what is that, what is that going to look like? Is that still going to be the same Kirby ground and pound offense that we've seen? Or is he going to try to open it up a little bit? You know, I need to see more of him because seeing him play against an underwhelming South Carolina team that just lost their head coach, yes, he had a great game, and yes, he looks good. But it's like I was high on Stetson Bennett until I saw I saw him play against Alabama. And then I was like, okay, well, no. You know, like, when I, like yes, he looks good against the Vanderbilts and the Kentuckys of the world, who we love. Um, but whenever we see them against one of the best teams in the country – you, you, that's when you start to see the cracks and that's when you start to see the flaws and, and that's when I started to notice okay yeah no he's really short or yeah okay he's <laughs> not good under pressure so like I would need to see JT Daniels show up in those situations of pressure and playing against really difficult teams but for now he looks like the guy um I just right. hope that you know him being a functional and good quarterback doesn't distract Georgia fans from the Georgia fans and Kirby himself from the like the actual issues that the program is having like they you know, did with Jake Fromm you know like Jake Fromm was a competent quarterback and they lost Justin Fields by starting him so I just hope that the history doesn't repeat himself in Athens no definitely and I, I agree with everything you said there I think there are a lot of things to work out over there at Georgia um, and maybe maybe JT Daniels is a step in the right direction, and maybe not. But you have to hope Kirby has learned from his decision making in the past. Yeah, and I mean, hey, they won forty five sixteen. Like they put up forty five points. That's a solid showing. So did LSU. <laughs> yeah, no, LSU is undefeated. Done, in my mind, we've done in really my mind. good. Yeah, no, we're great. Um, but a quarterback that is not just competent, but, like, lights out. Matt Corral. Matt Corral is pretty good. Um, you know, good. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of disappointed with the Egg Bowl. I wanted more, like, entertainment, you know? I was expecting, like, a little more chaos. But you're right. Ever since Lane got his job, and it was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be Lane Kiffin versus the Pirate. Like, these are the two of the most colorful coaches in college football and one of the most coveted rivalries in college football. Like, this game's going to be absolutely bonkers. And the ending was. Right. But I wanted more 
wow factor. I wanted more shock value. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, like you said, Matt Corral lights out. And I think Lane Kiffin knows what he wants to do with that quarterback, unlike Kirby. They're, these are two very different, you know, sides of the coin where right. Lane knows what he has and he's going to use it. Yeah. Um, and, and we're seeing that. And, I mean, right now Ole Miss, you know, I think he said it felt like a Super Bowl in their locker room winning the Egg Bowl. I mean, there's nothing that means more to that team than these two teams than the Egg Bowl. And I think we saw that. And, you know, hat tip to my, my Ole Miss insider, Dylan Lawless. Um, Ole Miss leads the SEC in yards per game. So, I mean, when you're competing against the Alabamas and the Floridas and those insane offenses that we've seen this year, and I'll even throw Georgia in that conversation, the fact that Ole Miss leads the SEC in yards per game is pretty impressive. It is. It is. I can give them that. And it means nothing. You know, <laughs> when you're four and four – it, it, yeah, it's like it's it's a fun little fact, and it's it's cool to see Lane Kiffin play such a huge role in that offense so soon, um, because I I don't see a Matt Luke offense putting out <laughs> that many yards per game, um, so it is cool to see Lane Kiffin's offense mesh so well with Matt Carl's um, play style. But it means nothing. You're four and four, but it's still a fun little fact. Definitely. And, um, you know, on the Mississippi State side of things, uh, their coaching is not going as smoothly as it is over in Oxford. Um, no, it is Clarion, not. Clarion Ledger beat reporter Tyler Horka tweeted today that Mike Leach has not shown up for his weekly press conference this week, and he has not showed up for the SEC teleconference this week. Um, I don't – I've never seen that happen. I mean, we're both pretty young. We've only been in this industry for – Four or five years. Right. But I've never seen a coach just blow off two of the biggest, you know, media events of every week during the SEC football season. I didn't um, think it was allowed. I didn't think it was allowed either. Yeah. Like, and, you know, the SEC teleconference is every Wednesday morning. Um, you know, it's a weekly thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same order every day. Like, SEC football is like a schedule. It's almost robotic. And, you know, he didn't miss it on accident. Um, and that's your, that's your contract. That's your job. Yes, your job is to coach a football team, but as the head coach, he's no he's no stranger to that. He's been the head coach of football teams for quite some time now. So he's feeling it. He's feeling it for sure. And I think that, you know, this whole season, like getting shut out by Alabama and just having their his offense that he designed be completely shut down by a bunch of defenses in the SEC, not LSU's, but others. Um, (laughs) I think that was all like that all stung, but nothing really right. worse than losing the egg bowl. Right. And I mean, that would sting for anybody. Um, you know, of course. we all get in our ego sometimes, like it happens. Um, but I think you, you I love what you said, like, this is your job. I, I can't just not show up to a work meeting in, in the mornings. Like that's not how the real world works. And I know college football is its own little world, uh, but you should still show up to your meetings and press conferences. You go to your job. I don't know. And I guess we'll see what goes on in Starkville and hopefully, you know, Leach will get some of his guys in in the next few years and we'll start seeing some forward momentum. But, you know, they're kind of stagnant right now. They're not much better than, you know, the end of last year with Joe Moorhead. Right. Yeah, that's been, I'm sure, the most frustrating thing as a Mississippi State fan is just seeing just it, very lateral moves. You know, you saw you know, Dak Prescott's 
tenure at Mississippi State, what was that, 2014, 15, 2014, mm-hmm. um, when Mississippi State was undefeated, when they were one of the top 10 teams in the country, when it was so exciting to watch Mississippi State football. And that was really the last time when we watched Mississippi State and thought, wow. And I mean, for the ex- except the game, the LSU game this year, that was the first game of the season, that's when I thought, okay, wow, Mississippi State, is. this is going to be their 2014 season again. This is going to be their year. Um, but you just, you have to have a little bit more, a few more dimensions to your offense. And I think that's exactly what they're lacking. 100%. Egg Bowl. Like I said. Yeah, right, right. And Egg Bowl, one of the best rivalries in college football, but not me personally, my personal preference, my favorite rivalry in college football, Auburn, Alabama. Iron Bowl. I love an Iron Bowl. I love an Iron Bowl. Who doesn't? Um, was disappointed by the Iron Bowl also. I, okay, I'm glad I had that in my notes. I said boring. It was boring. And it yeah. shouldn't have been. I think, I just think this Alabama team is so far and away the best team in the nation that it's oh, 100%. Even the iconic rivalry like this couldn't even like keep up and you know Auburn has a way of like shocking the world like multiple times a season and just like throwing out a really great win and like winning egg bowl I mean an iron bowl every couple of years right and it they just couldn't keep up this year no and and that's a really good point is the thing like the times when we talk about these crazy Auburn wins is like the few and far between game iron bowls that Auburn wins. You know, we still talk about the 2013 kick six and yes, right. it was incredible. And it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen as a college football fan, but we talk about it so much because it was when Auburn shocked the world. It was when Auburn beat Alabama. Um, and that's so that's like, just has so much shock value. And Alabama beating Auburn 42 to 13 just feels like par for the course. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, Bonex throws picks. You know what? Bonex does throw picks. And that's exactly what he did. He did. He threw and, picks. Okay. I wanted to, I mentioned this to Caroline off pod, but <laughs> we wanted to point out that Miles Brennan, LSU's quarterback, has not played a game since October 10th, which was the loss to Missouri at Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has more touchdown passes than Bo Nix and less interceptions. Um, Bo Nix has 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Miles Brennan had 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. In how many games? What, what is it, eight? I think eight games now for Auburn. Miles Brennan played, what, three? Look, I also I have a bone to pick with so many LSU fans who thought at the beginning of the season that Miles was the problem with this team. I I also he's never was been very the hard. problem. He's never been the problem. I I was personally hard on Miles early in the season. I'm not going to deny the fact I didn't think nobody ever thought he was the second coming of Joe Burrow, but you know I think I had a high high expectations for him, and it took him a couple weeks to get a groove. Um, Miles was very clearly the only thing holding this team together. And you uh, saw in that very much so. 
in these past few games. I mean, against South Carolina, no. You know, I have to give TJ Finley credit. He looked great against South Carolina. But with the exception of that game, ye, we are very obviously missing Miles Brennan. If, you know, this Texas A&M game, if Miles was in, we would have won that game. Because yeah. defense looked outstanding, held Texas A&M, the number five team in the country, to 20 points. But the offense just couldn't get going. And they handed Texas A&M a touchdown. Like, I don't want to say Miles Brennan getting, you know, not getting injured changes the course of the season. I don't think it changes the course of a whole season. I think it gives you one or two, it gives you one or two games back, one or two close losses that really could have been flipped. Yeah. And honestly, Miles got hurt in the middle of the Missouri game. Um, what he, I can assume he wasn't at full strength through the second half of that game. It's LSU you know, flip that game if Miles is at 100%. We don't, we can't know that. We could make but, that. Right, you can make an argument. And I think, you know, LSU is closer to 500 with Miles. And it doesn't, LSU doesn't go 10-0. Uh, I don't think anybody's expecting that. But I'm not going to the national championship, and that's okay. I don't need that every year. Right. I, I think, <laughs> right. And, I mean, I think LSU scores more than seven points against Auburn. Um, you know, I don't know if they score, you know, 45 to outscore whatever the defense was doing that game. Right. But this is a very different back half of the season with Miles Brennan. Um, and we're very clearly seeing that in front of our faces. And I do have to say that the only positive thing that I see about LSU's future is that we got a true freshman in a quarterback. Our backup two. is a true freshman. Yeah, yeah. We've got TJ Finley and Max Johnson. You have two true freshmen that are seeing the field in big-time SEC games. So are we going to beat Alabama? I'm going to just go out on the ledge here and say no. We're, we're not. Um, but that gives TJ Finley and Max Johnson three more full years if they choose to stay with a game against Alabama under their belt, a game against Auburn, a game against South Carolina, a game against Texas A&M as true freshmen, and they can just grow and develop from there. And on the other side, you could also say that about Bo Nix, that as a true freshman, he played in big-time SEC games, and he is still throwing picks like it's his job. Um, he throws picks like his name rhymes with it, which it does. This was one of my favorite stats, was that on the road – he has more interceptions than he does passing touchdowns. He has nine interceptions on the road and eight passing touchdowns on the road. So it's like it, there, there's just a huge disparity there that we have said time and time again that he that get the gap that needed to close coming into his sophomore season that we just haven't seen close. Right. And I mean, I don't know. You can't call it a sophomore slump when – he didn't have a high-level freshman season, but I think we wanted, we wanted a sophomore jump, and we're not seeing that. I mean, we're seeing him very much plateau at position. And off the field, this was one of my favorite things that happened this past week, was Bonix was trying to get the team fired up, and he called Mac Jones just a game manager. He's not actually a good quarterback. He's just a game manager, which – is a really bold thing to say when you get blown out. Oh, yeah. Um. But I thought it raised an interesting point. Is Mac Jones a system quarterback? Um, he might be a system quarterback. I'm, I don't 
I would not call him a game manager. Um, he, he leads the nation QBR in 95.5. Mm-hmm. He's he has over almost 3,000 yards, passing yards. That's six in the nation. And he's seventh in the nation with 23 touchdowns. I think mean, not a game manager by any means. Um, no. He could be a system quarterback. I think, you know, but in that same vein, spread offenses, pro-style offenses are, you know, the typical system in NFL, you know, offenses nowadays so he may be a system quarterback but the system may transfer the system works right um and i mean i if you're into conspiracy theories mac jones and tom brady have the same number of letters (laughs) and i am fully on the train of tom brady as a system quarterback oh tom brady is 100 a system quarterback and this is an SEC podcast. I'm not going to get into the NFL, but everybody that I called Drew Brees, no, everybody that called Drew Brees washed. I hope you're saying the same thing about Tom Brady. That's all I'm going to say. And that's our one Saint plug for, for <laughs> everyone. There's always going to be one Saints plug in there. There it is. That's good. But yeah, I just I just thought that was just classic Bonix fashion. You just talk, talk your talk about Mac Jones being a system quarterback, being a game manager, blah 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 blah, and then you just get steamrolled by that same person who you're calling a game manager. <laughs> yeah, if anything, Bonix game manager. Yeah, Bonix throw picks. <laughs> Quit it. I don't want I don't want to hear any more out of you. Bo. Um, and then final game that we haven't touched on quite yet. And if you would have told me one year ago that there's going to be one week of SEC football where Vanderbilt has the biggest storyline in the country, I would have been like, you're insane. But in classic 2020 fashion, it was. We saw Sarah Fuller the first woman to play in a Power 5 conference football game, which was just the coolest thing in the whole entire world. Um, You know, regardless of the score, Vanderbilt got blown out by Missouri. Missouri looked great. Um, Connor Bazelak looked fantastic. He looked lights out. That X's and O's and, you know, game aside, a really cool thing happened on the field against Missouri. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, if you follow either of us on Twitter, you saw how excited we were. And, you know, any woman in sports was was very excited for Absolutely. Sarah Fuller to get there. And you, it was historic. And, you know, she may not have been able to kick a field goal or an extra point, but even, you know, kicking that squib on the second half kickoff, I think, was amazing. And that shows so many things for, you know, so many girls. You never think, you know, you don't, you don't think you have a chance to play football growing up. You know, you just – you play soccer, you play basketball or softball or whatever sports, you know, interest you and you don't think football is going to be an option. And I think it should be. Uh, and we, I think this is a stepping stone. I know women have done it before, uh, but this is on the biggest stage and the biggest conference in college football. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for Sarah Fuller to be able to watch her do her thing at, a week after winning an SEC championship in soccer. Um, I think somebody pointed out on Twitter is that she's the only one in that locker room who's won a ring. He's the only one in the championship. Right. So, you know, shout out to Sarah Fuller. I am so excited. I hope she gets to kick, 
you know, going forward. Um, I hope she, I hope she's at least in the conversation in that competition um, at kicker for Vanderbilt. And I'm so excited to watch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there were so many girls watching um, and visibility matters. 100%. I've loved sports my entire life, but I didn't really know that it was going to be a career for me until I saw Aaron Andrews, until I saw Sam Ponder, until I saw all of these women going, I saw them on TV and I said, okay, you know, this is what I want to do because I see them doing it. And yes, absolutely anything is possible, whether a woman has done it before or not, but seeing some, seeing a woman in pads on the sidelines of an SEC game just show so many people like, hey, yeah, no, I can do this. And this was the first time that I felt like, okay, like this is my sport too. Um, no, yeah, you know, I've loved the game my whole life. I've covered the game for, you know, four to five years now, but this was the first time when I really, I really felt ownership of it. So thank you to Sarah Fuller for that, for breaking a massive glass ceiling that has yet to be broken. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we invited our f- good friend Simon Gibbs, Vanderbilt extraordinaire, on the pod to break down a little bit more about Sarah Fuller and the crazy week that Vanderbilt has had this past week. Welcoming in to the Southeastern Podcast, the sports editor for the Vanderbilt Hustler and current Vanderbilt senior. So if anybody is looking for someone to hire, 